and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. And we're both property people running our own businesses. And this podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. Now, before we do get into today's podcast, please do leave us a rating or review. Just click on your podcast player that you're listening to this on now and leave us a rating review. That will really help us as we move into 2022. And don't forget, we are online at Twitter at Biz of Property. So just head over there and we will post hopefully relevant bits of information that uh, related to all of our podcast shows. Now, back to today's podcast. And Simon and I, as you often do at the start of each year, we're just reflecting on days gone by and asking each other the question, what, what would we have done differently in our investing careers or property development careers if we could go back in time? Simon's looking slightly depressed, which, which might give you an indicator of to where his mind's gone. So, Simon, if we could turn back the clock, of your investing career, which started approximately 20 years ago, what would you have done differently? I think my my rethink on it can be summed up in, well, a, a very short phrase of go faster, do more, <laughs> advance quicker. So yeah, that, that, that would be my, my overriding theme. So I started out, as, as we've discussed before on, on this podcast, with a single property that I purchased as my own home, which was a bit bigger than I needed. And I was able to, to put myself into the, the little little box room and get lodgers renting the, the other two double bedrooms. That worked really well. And I, I continued that setup for, for quite a while. And I also had a, a well-paying tech job at the time. So with that and the, the sort of price increases and in property values that were going on at the time, I was able to purchase a, a second property, which was a, a dedicated buy-to-let, just a couple of years later. However, after that, I stopped with the property <laughs> or with, with my property business for, for quite a while. And if I got to do it all again, I wouldn't. I, I would put just a little bit of time into actually extending and continuing my, my property business and my property purchases. And I think if I could have maintained a, a a sort of cadence of buying another house every couple of years, I think that would have been a, a fairly decent rate and, and rhythm to be in without it disturbing sort of my main career too much. And yeah, I think that would have been would have been my preferred approach. And yes, as you hinted a few moments ago, I have worked out some numbers of what that might have meant. And and yes, I'm now quite depressed. Well, the the point of reflection was just to think about what we would do differently and potentially provide people with information, stroke insight on how they might want to think about things. But you you went a step further and started calculating what your life, <laughs> your, your life, but your investments would look like now had you done that thing that you were talking about changing. So, Simon, share a little bit more with that about of that with us. Well, I. So I did look into this too much, I think. So I have gone back and looked up just just roughly the the kind of house price increases that were going on at the time. So this was the early two thousands, um, sort of leading into the the mid two thousands. And apparently, house price growth was in the region of five percent a year at that sort of time, at least in the southeast. 
So that's the, the figure I've used for, for that. So the, the idea being that every two years, I would have collected some savings. This would be from my, my main career and also obviously from income from lodgers, income from rent, etc. So with savings plus increase in property values, which can then be remortgaged to extract some of that, I think it would be, be very feasible based on these figures to be able to purchase a, a new house every two years, even allowing for, of course, those houses to have gone up in value as well. So yeah, so looking at buying a, a new house worth between 150 and 200,000 sort of in the, the, the mid to late 2000s. And of course, as house prices go up, that purchase value would go up. But just sort of fast forwarding through all those figures, it would mean that I, I'd currently have a, a property portfolio worth about three million pounds, which I'm, well, I was going to say happy to, to say isn't the case, but I'm not sure happy is quite the right word. No. But, uh, but yes, I'm, I definitely do not have a, a three million pound property portfolio at the moment. <laughs> and as an average, what would that be of a loan to value? How much of that would you own? Would it be like a seventy percent loan to value? Or so th- this is a very very simple forecast. I have not allowed for the fact that as I have more properties, I would have more income, and hence would be able to actually potentially accelerate the purchase price. I, I've just assumed a constant purchase rate of one property every two years. Whereas in actual fact, if I was really sort of going for it in a property portfolio, it would be you, you recycle all of the cash that's coming up through remortgaging and savings and rent and what have you. You'd recycle all of it and hence you'd be buying one house every two years and then a few years later be buying two houses and then four houses and so on and so forth because it, it would accelerate. So I have not done that, which means that in this very simple forecast, there is a lot more spare cash as well towards the end. And the actual finishing loan to value is is, is only around 35%. So so most of that is actually owned as well, rather than mortgaged, which is, is also crazy. Yeah, and it'd be amazing to share that uh, that sheet with the podcast listeners yeah i'm not sure i'm going to do that because these are very scrappy numbers and and i suspect the first person who looks at them will point out an error (laughs) well you know things are there to be shot at but the the key bit of information for me from there is when you talk about buying one property every two years that sounds well it not only sounds doable it sounds positively simple yeah, and you know the difference, as we know, is the compounding effect of having done that, and the compounding effect of the the, the increasing price of properties, even including a, at least one property crash of you know two thousand and eight. And you know, if I were to pull out a key learning for that, that is that is it. It's actually don't be afraid to to do something which, in well, certainly in my world, a cadence of one every two years is is. It's not quick at all. No, indeed. And it's, as you say, it, it sounds like it should be fairly achievable. And certainly looking at these figures, it looks like it should have been achievable if, if only I'd actually got on and done it. And as you say, there, there is a property crash in there. And I have sort of built that into the figures slightly. But again, this is a very quick and scrappy spreadsheet. So I'm, I'm sure I haven't really modeled that properly. So that, that might have a, a bigger effect. And probably a bigger 
dampening effect on the overall portfolio than I've actually allowed for in this in this spreadsheet. And of course, if I had been buying more in the lead up to that crash, it, it is possible that I would have been more exposed and perhaps perhaps even sort of dangerously exposed at that point as well. And while this spreadsheet, because of the dates I put into it, happens to take a sort of slightly optimistic view in so much as I the last purchase I make pre-crash is in 2006, before the crazy acceleration. And then my next purchase is post-crash in 2008, <laughs> which of course might not have actually worked out like that. So so yeah, again, spreadsheet is looking at a, a sort of probably slightly too too rosy a picture around that. Because yeah, it, it could easily have been that you'd buy late 2000, early 2008, right at the peak. And then when you come around to remortgage again in two years' time, there's actually nothing left to, to extract because you, you overpaid for, for property then. And then the, the revaluations two-ish years later haven't, haven't got, to the, got, got back to that point yet. So in actual fact, you might find you need to put money in maybe even to, to keep your portfolio afloat at that point. So, so yeah, it, 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 it's not a, a very realistic model and it could easily go differently given that, that property crash. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously lots of variables, but it's it's even it's interesting, just that based on a back of a fag packet calculation, that you know you can see the benefits, and of course, as well as properties not increasing in value or decreasing in value, they could increase quicker. And given you know the region you're talking about is in the south, you know one would think that probably the the house prices would probably have increased at a steeper rate based on what we've seen certainly in the last five to seven years at least anyway or especially in the last year or year and a half yeah <laughs> we've seen some some very uh steep increases very recently as well so yeah so the i think sort of the, the final bit for my sort of how i would have done it differently is, is probably just a, a personal note to note that i'm still doing it wrong because i've still let another year go by where i have not purchased a property even though i've been meaning to and had had funds available to to make that that purchase so yes i i need to kick myself into gear for 2022 and actually get on with this and and actually start doing this regularly and reliably in order to to actually build my way towards that three million pound portfolio yeah get, get there one day hopefully well we'll all hold you to account on that one and if you've got a target of one every two years, I think we can support you with that. Certainly keep asking you the question in 2022. Indeed. Although once I've bought it, then then of course we'll have nothing to talk about for the next two years until until that, that buying phase comes out again. So you'll, you'll just have to keep us busy with your, your property business until then. Speaking of which, how do you think you would have done yours differently, Stuart? Well, this is the interesting difference between us is that uh, you wish you'd gone quicker and my first thought is i wish i'd gone slower and just doing a quick calculation i i estimate that i within two years so from sort of 2015 to 2017 i bought well with personally or within my own limited company about five properties i actually bought other another property as part of a joint venture as well but actually all in all i bought at least five properties there's there's one other which i'm probably not including which is a small flat but i sort of calculate on number of rooms and in a period of about two years i took on 32 rooms which 
back then I was really disappointed about because I had set myself some ridiculous targets of building or making available a hundred rooms for students. At that time it was just students. And of course I, I look back on that now and think I was trying to build the portfolio so quickly. So in my head, I think it was because I'd lost time. So a bit like you, where you've looked back 20 years ago and said, well, actually, if I'd have just done this every two years, in my head, I realized that property, because of the capital appreciation and and so on, I should have started earlier. So I thought, I just need a, I need a bunch of properties. However, given that I wasn't bathing in you know, hundreds of uh, £50 notes, like a wealthy person, I had to seek investment. And that meant yeah, borrowing money from investors to, to do that. I wish now what I'd done was paid att- more attention to the numbers in the properties than the numbers of properties. And that's something I've sort of said before, but that's something really which I've come out with, which is, and what I mean by that is, of course, we did the numbers of what rent we expect to get and the costs, the agent fees and utilities but we didn't have our finger on the pulse and i say we because it's a royal we it's my company and it's me although i do have other people that support the company now but ultimately i'm responsible and i should have done that on an ongoing basis to say actually property by property we should have a, a profit and loss so just to see how each property itself is performing as its own business unit but because of the speed at which I was trying to grow, I didn't do that. I was just focused on the next building, the next building, the next building, because each one needed refurbing and, and, and whatnot. And I believe that itself has probably held me back now because I'm now as focused of, on returning investor funds than I am on the portfolio itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. So first of all, let me just say you, you achieved in two years, roughly according to my plan, what would have been 10 years <laughs> worth of, <laughs> of expansion. And it wasn't anywhere near fast enough for, for your original goals. <laughs> That's just <laughs> crazy. But moving on from that, that uh, slightly scary point, I, th- I think what you're saying is that because you, you took on private investor finance to fuel your initial purchases, that that extra debt basically sort of had a, a a slowing effect or a dragging effect for for cash flow and breaking out of of that sort of initial thing. So if you'd wanted to grow further, you probably could have taken on more investor debt and you could have added properties and rooms, but it wouldn't it still wouldn't have actually been spinning out profit and cash because because you've taken on the private investor finance and because that finance comes at quite a high price, you, you actually spend most of your income servicing all of your costs and debt. Is, is that sort of how it works out and where the, where the problem laid? Yeah, that, that's definitely a big element of it. And the, the second element of it is the cashing all of your money out post-purchase, which I'd kind of picked up from all of the you know the, the property training advertisement and and my misguided belief at that stage and my naive belief was that must be it's a it's a bona fide strategy and absolutely can happen however you know as we discussed very briefly b- before this podcast was 
my understanding of it now is that it's very much the exception rather than the rule that when you can get all of your money back out it's 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 much rarer and the reason for that is is many fold but primarily because the banks will always want you to have skin in the game and the reason so if we take we've got one part investor funds so investor interest as well as the investor capital that needs to be returned but then also the bit that i hadn't really thought about was that when you do refinance so we were getting money out getting large chunks of money back out of a property within let's say 6 months of course that's great because you've got a large amount of capital back but then your further borrowing also has interest which you're going to pay so your monthly mortgage has has just gone up by x percent and that too put a lot of what's termed downward pressure on the um on the monthly income so though both the investor and the refinancing itself put a lot of pressure on so when i say i want to go slower i think i'd run those numbers a lot more meticulously to work out where i was going to be because my 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 view is that actually if i'd probably slowed down a bit probably met you somewhere in the middle and actually just returned investor funds and then once that happened then looked at the next one yes I'd probably have the same amount of properties, but I'd probably be in a much better, in terms of cash flow, financial position than than I am today. So, so I think what you're saying is you 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 borrow private investor finance to put into a property, buy the property, refurb the property, and then you'd hope to remortgage it, refinance it, in order to get enough money out to pay back that private investor. Yeah. Therefore, freeing you from that, you'd have a higher mortgage, but but that would be at a slightly lower rate than the private investor, and you'd have have the ownership as well for the the asset that would then grow. However, you you weren't quite managing to pay back the private investor with each of these refurbishments and and refinances. So so that that's where you were collecting the private finance burden. Is is that right, or have I? misfollowed that <laughs> yeah that's pretty much right but it, essentially it was it was the burden of both because it was both investor financing and bank financing and the further borrowing is at a higher rate isn't it so that's yeah well that and, is more mm. and again you know this compounded by the fact that on the hmos that i was buying yeah we're buying at 85 percent loan to value so you're paying top whack of an interest rate so so greater than five percent so you're paying a high interest rate mm. and you've got the further borrowing on top of that and I guess one of my biggest learnings was, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit like going to the casinos. You know, when you're, when you're playing at the table with the bank, there's only going to be one winner in that scenario. And, and my best example of that is, is probably the best property in terms of refinancing that I bought. And the numbers were we bought a property from auction for £540,000. So we bought a property for five forty. And I spent 12000 on it. Didn't need much doing. It was just one of these that went into receivership and we, and we, we spent twelve k. I I can't remember the, the stamp duty numbers off the top of my head. So essentially, we'd spent, let's say, f- around uh, 560-ish, probably, probably more, but let, let's say 560. I got that revalued at 735000 within within a matter of months. I'd actually spent time with the value and we walked around it. And and I thought for me, that was the holy grail. So we'd bought a property that, give or take, had revalued at 200K more than we'd spent 
did the bank offer me the same loan to value that they were going to and just give me that free money and let me cash out completely? Of course they did, Stuart. I'm sure that's always what happens. Well, maybe I was just unlucky. But the the bank on this occasion said, no, we're going to set a ceiling on this. And the loan to value they gave me, they said, we'll either give you 70% or limit your borrowing to 540, which meant I still had to leave money on the table. And that was a really important lesson for me, which was, okay, we can cash out, but the bank's always going to want me to have skin in the game. And this is why you and I probably have similar views on sort of no money down because no money down implies no money in, which is not the case. There's always someone somewhere putting money in and the bank will always want it to be in their favour. And so, so again, even on that the deal, which I consider my best one yet, I still had to leave in. And, and again, that was worked with investor finance. Now, if the investor, let's say the investor gave me 100K towards that, I'm thinking once I've got the revaluation, I'm happy days. All the money's coming out, plus the interest. I'm actually just got a property now that's generating. Oh, no, that's not the case. We had to leave money in, so I couldn't pay the investor all the money back. And I'm still paying for the interest, as well as taking on the cost of the business. So some big learnings there for me. And, and maybe if I'd slowed down, and maybe just stopped there at that property, just said, okay, let's just get everyone paid off before we think about the next one. But yeah, I'm still in the same similar mindset. I want to build quickly, but I'd probably do it with a little bit more thought in mind. Yeah, and your your more recent business expansion has been in rent to rent. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, with a view to taking on less debt and being able to generate cash flow from a, a lower debt start. And this is not 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 zero investment by any means you're still putting money into into the processes into the deals but but it's a much much lower level and hence a, a much shorter period before you can see that payback is that does that fit absolutely because i just think about everyone's starting points and you know you talked about your starting point being alongside a a well paying tech job my starting point was about to leave work, needing to replace salary very, very quickly. Because once again, I naively thought because of what I'd seen and heard that that would all happen in six months. But the salary I was replacing was too high to do that. And rent to rent is the model that will give me that cash flow without such a huge initial outlay. But of course, when I started, HMO Stroke co-living was clearly the the cash flow play, but needed significant investment because five beds, six beds, seven bed plus houses don't come cheap. Yeah, so it's a rent to rent is where I came out, and it's quite funny because I I guess I've done that back to front compared to a lot of people. You know, we've had uh, you know various guests uh, on the show talk about rent to rent, and a lot of people starting rent to rent because of the the lower initial capital outlay they need. Whereas I've done the huge HMOs and now come to rent to rent as a supporting function of the of the business. Yeah. So you're saying you went too fast in your first two years, but you did slow down after that, didn't you? Do you, do you think that was just right for compensating for your, your too fast initially? Or how after those initial two years were too fast, how do you think you would have done the next next bit differently if you, you got to do it again? 
Or, or do you think it, it just would have all played out more evenly generally if you'd, you'd started the first two years differently? I think the key difference for me is that I would be extremely clear on the net profit that was being driven by each property. So when I talk about the property P&L, so that I could say, okay, property A generates £500 net profit per month. That's banked. Property B generates £300 net profit per month. Whereas I was just looking at gross numbers. So in my head, you know, I do very quick calculations on what a room would rent for and extrapolate that out for 50 weeks because that's just the number I work with because it's, it's just a simple number. But because I kept working on the gross revenue, I was never really thinking about what I was actually taking home. I mistakenly believed that that number would solve itself, that that, that that would just be a problem that would solve itself. And of course, that's that's just not true. So I think by taking my time and getting crystal clear on the reality of each property's net profit, that I could have planned effectively. What I've kind of done is, it's what I may well have ended up at the same place, but just with a lot more knowledge about where I was versus now, you know, I have quite a lot of debt, including bank debt, obviously, that, you know, that the business now has to, to take on. So I'm, I would say I'm quite highly leveraged. However, the, the, the one thing that does provide me with comfort is I know that if I were to sell all of the properties tomorrow and pay off all the, if, basically, if I sell all the properties, I can pay the investors back all of the debt that we owe, and we still got a little bit of income, a bit more than I started out with. <laughs> Or a little bit of um, capital more than I started with, and that kind of that is my very simple way of looking at it to make sure that I'm happy. Because if I worked it out that if I sell everything, pay back all the investors, I'm break even, then I start thinking maybe I look for another job, or, as in or another business. Maybe this just maybe I'm not cut out for this. But at the moment, I'm probably you know fifty percent up on the initial money i started with so we're in we're trending in the right direction probably just could have done it better oh 50 up sounds like a good good place to be so maybe, maybe it could have been done better but i don't think that's that's done badly at all no and of course that's only the financial it's probably cost me a lot more in emotional mental and and spiritual uh no, 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 no. stop stop Stuart. i was trying to end on, a, on an up note <laughs> <laughs> Well, an end we must. So thank you, Simon, for bringing us back around. Hopefully there, there have been some key takeouts from Simon and myself which have been unused for people. And it's, I think my summary of that is you know, from Simon's side, he'd, he'd go quicker. I'd go a bit slower. Simon wants to grow the portfolio. I'd probably put the brakes on a little bit. And I suppose there it's really clear. It's getting clarity on what each of us wants from our property business and how quickly we would or wouldn't be happy to get there. And maybe just doing a bit more planning. Unfortunately, I'm not the sort of person that, that plans that well, but I've now learned that that is something we'll do. As always, we'll share all of the interesting bits at thebusinessofproperty.com. Do follow us at Biz of Property. And if you've taken anything from this episode whatsoever, even if it's, I will never do what these two guys do, then please do leave us at least a rating just so we can share the message with other people. Other than that, we'll see you in the next episode.